I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This episode actually was recorded at the 2020 Builder Summit, where I did two separate sessions, and it's on how to build a godly sex life. We're going to talk about building a godly sex life today. I'm going to be working uh, from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. It's anchored in there. This is more of a kind of topical, this is not what I normally do on a Sunday morning at all. I usually just go line by line through scripture. And I never, um, I've always had an interest in anthropology and sexuality, but I, uh, I'm becoming known as this guy and I get all sorts of weird emails and stuff. So this is from... A lot of counseling, uh, dealing with guys in bad marriages, dealing with sexual abuse, dealing with people who are trying to transition out of transgenderism back to their God-assigned sex. So um, so I'm not going to prove everything here. I'm just not going to. I don't have time to prove everything. You go search. You go check it out. I've done podcasts on almost every element that I'm about to go over. Um, but this is a topic that uh, shouldn't have to be taught in the detail that I'm going to do today. But where we are as a culture, it requires that, and that's why I'm doing that. And uh, I'll try to keep the uh, language uh, clinical and clean to the best of my ability. And if not, I guess I'll talk to Michael afterwards. So work through our, he'll help me. So, all right. Proverbs chapter 5. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the street, streams of water in the public square? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth like a loving doe and a graceful mountain goat. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the breasts of a foreigner? For the ways of everyone are before the eyes of the Lord, and he observes all his paths." So I'm going to talk to you about five ways you can build a godly sex life. I'm going to start with, first, you need to embrace your sex drive as a gift from God, as a good thing. If you look at verse 18 and 19, let your fountain be blessed. The idea of sex here, your sex drive, the intimacy, he's using water as a metaphor. And let this be a good thing. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's not just talking about the apple pie she makes, right? Because we, we see what the context is. It's her breasts, right? It's your lovemaking, your intimacy. So even post-fall, sex is good. A sex drive is good. And you need to embrace it as a gift from God. All natural things are a gift from God. Apples, sunlight, the things, these are part of his design. And our sex drive, our desire is from the Lord. In matter of fact, it's part of his plan for the entire planet. It's part of his goal for the world, for the cosmos. It's rooted in the creation mandate. Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over ever, every living thing that moves on the earth. So God wants his planet full 
And you watch as he creates the different realms and he fills them with fish and birds. And all the different realms God makes teeming with life. Except the whole earth he doesn't fill with men. He, he has a means which he's going to accomplish that by. And it's the man and woman together in marriage, having fruitful sex. He's going to fill the earth with people because people bear his image. And God's going to fill this created realm with his image. We bring God glory. We bear his image. We're image bearers. And so all of creation is doxological. It has a purpose to worship and honor God. And sex is part of that. So we need to accept it as a gift from God as part of his design. Think of uh, what happens in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Through our sex drive, we weave a man and a woman together relationally. They make connections. As we'll get to in a second, that's part of what's so evil about fornication. Is that sex is not, it's not, you, you don't just do it like the animals. It's spiritual. It connects people. And therefore, it's very dangerous. But through it, relationally, we're, we're uh, brought together with our wife, and there's intimacy, and, and getting naked, like, I, like at this point, um, I don't think I'd get remarried. Getting naked in front of another woman again, I, 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 that's all right. I've done it, right? Um, I think we'll just, I'll just write the rest of my life. But the intimacy that you have with your wife, the vulnerability, the trust, the care, even through the sex act, the different hormones that relieve stress and relaxes you. These are, they, they, they make us depend on each other. It tightens relationship. So even through the rec- recreative act of sex, we are made stronger. But also, we know one of the main purposes behind sex is procreation. God desires a godly seed. Malachi chapter 2. Yeah, this is... I. You guys will have to correct me. It's been a long time since I read the 1689, but I know it, it is very close to the Westminster Standards. And we uh, teach that there's three purposes to marriage, protecting and sexual morality, um, helpful companionship, and a godly seed. God wants his image to grow on this planet. He wants more glory. He deserves all the glory. And through sex, we have more children. We are fruitful quality, multiply, quantity, and we fill the earth. That's how this thing's ending. That's how this whole thing ends, with a planet submitted to God, full of worshipers of God, worshiping Him forever, and those people, they exist because someone had sex. That's how that happens. One flesh. Now, what is a child but one flesh? Think how amazing it is. It's the closest we get to being creative. Right? We make and shape. We take things that already exist and we shape them into new things. But we don't like create them. But when a man and woman come together and uh, the sperm and the ova come together, at that moment, something that didn't exist, exists. A new soul, right? A new person that's a combination of you and your wife. It's weird. A lot of kids are like holograms. You know how holograms work? You like hold the card up and turn. And there's like kids, like you step over here, it kind of looks like mom. You step over here, kind of looks like dad. And when the kids are maturing, you're watching the little ones, you're like, oh, poor girl, she looks like me. You know, like, but then she starts to look more like her mother through, you know, and it's just this weird mix that God takes our genes and makes a one flesh, a new person. And one of the great sins of the modern age is to remove the creative from the unitive function of sex. It's part of God's plan, 
how he fills everything through children. But the fall distorts this, right? It absolutely does, but it doesn't destroy it. It's marred. And the grace of God uh, increasingly restores our God-given desires so that they operate according to his original design. That is Reformed teaching. That is historical Christianity. I promise you it is. And I'm not going to give you a lot, but I could overwhelm you with quotes to show you this is what everyone's thought the whole time until now. Until now, we stopped. What you have to realize about this age is this is the fringe. This isn't the normal. And when we start acting like the older ages, they'll say we're fringe. Wrong. We're the normal ones. You're the weirdos, right? You're the ones that have well, departed from nature and design and from our wonderful scriptural heritage, right? I'm just getting normal, and that makes you think I'm weird. But uh, one guy I like a lot is Herman Bavinck. Now, he's more of my tradition. If you don't like him, Richard Sibbs, I can show you where Richard Sibbs teaches the same thing. And, and if you guys, you guys have to like Richard Sibbs, I would think. He's amazing. If you haven't read him and you're struggling and you're depressed, Sibbs is where to go. Right, he will help you. But Bavink writes, talking about um, how what grace does, what God's redemption does. He says it does not mean annihilation, but a restoration of God's sin disrupted work of creation. Revelation is an act of reformation. In recreation, the creation with all its forms and norms is restored. In the gospel, the law, in grace, justice, in Christ, the cosmos is restored. And then he later goes on to say, grace restores nature and takes it to its highest pinnacle. So grace doesn't obliviate nature. When you get saved, you don't stop being a man. You will be a man forever and ever and ever. And your wife will be a woman forever and ever. And if you say that's not true, you're a heretic. Okay? Because it's an attack on the humanity of Christ. When Christ resurrected he was still a man. He will be a man forever. It's a mystery, right? The great, the incarnation, the deity and humanity of Christ, 100%, 100%. It's amazing. But you will be male forever. This is part of your design. Oh, but we'll be like the angels in heaven. Yeah, we'll be like the angels in heaven in that we don't get married. Not that we'll be angels, right? To be man is to be flesh, to have a penis, to have a vagina, to have the different hormones. This is part of God's design. And if you're ashamed of this, you're agnostic. It's a false teaching. Matter is good. Is it marred by the fall? Absolutely. But heaven isn't spiritual. It's spiritual and physical, what God's doing. And we cannot fall into this. Evangelicalism in America is by and large agnostic and has departed from the teaching of Scripture. So when guys like me stand up here and say these boringly normal historical truths, we seem kind of edgy. We're not trying to be edgy. We're trying to be normal, okay? So grace restores nature. The Roman Catholics would teach that it, uh, it elevates it. Or if you go to sort of an Eastern Orthodox, that you're actually uh, being changed to something other than human or being deified almost. But no, it's just restoring original design is what it's doing. And that's a sanctification process that happens over and over again. When you got saved, didn't your desires change? Aren't you a new creation? Don't you have new appetites? You have an appetite for holiness. I remember I didn't care about high school at all, right? I wouldn't, wouldn't turn in my homeworks. When I figured out that I could pass my class without doing homework, I was like, well, 
I'm not doing homework. I've got other things to do, man. And then it was like, oh, you have to have this average to be on the wrestling team, the football team. Well, we'll, we'll get right up to that and then do other things. Um, but then I got saved. And then I realized I wanted to be a good witness to my teachers. And I wanted to show them the change. And I wanted to work hard and excellence. My desire has totally changed overnight. Just God did that. It's crazy. And God changes your desires in that he restores them to his original design. And that is true of your sex drive. A reordered sex drive drives a Christian man to build up his household. To drive pushes you. It, it, it compels you to move on. Right? You want to have sex? Great. Get a wife. Like it's supposed to motivate you to get things done. Right? To prepare your field so you can build your household is what it says in Proverbs chapter 24. That's what, like, if, like our drive to eat is how we, like, hey, let's, you know, let's farm instead of going out all day picking things. It makes you more creative. And so your drive to be with a woman is something that God uses to move us towards his purpose, which is filling the world with worshipers. It's the main form of Presbyterian evangelism. We basically wait for you Baptists to evangelize people, and then we steal them. Um, <clears throat> but we're working on it. We're getting better. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. You know, Keep it up, though. Like, send them my way. Um, but... Uh, but a good Baptist does want his son to grow up to fear God and will disciple him, to love, to pray to God as a father and all that. And this is one of the ways that God builds up the church. And you see, when you see powerful Christians, usually it's from a line of Christian families, usually. Sometimes God, like I'm a first-generation Christian, but when you see like that real quality, it's just because uh, they have a godly inheritance. What our, our wicked uh, associates would call privilege. <laughs> it's just a godly inheritance that we shouldn't be ashamed of. But, so God works through that. So your sex drive drives you to get married, drives you to have children, and then uh, it builds a household. Not a home, not a house, but a household. Our understanding of house, uh, household is really anemic now. Uh, Abraham's household went to war with four kings. Abraham's household had 300 servants. You know, so a household is everything. It's your children, it's you, it's your property, your influence. That's what we're building together. It's not some 1950s ideal. That's not what scripture talks about. Do a good study of uh, Psalm, or Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 31. Read guys like Charles Bridges. Uh, read through it. You'll see what that's, it's not talking about a career-focused woman. It's talking about a competent woman that builds up her household. And sex drives that. It feeds that. It's a fire. It's the engine. So, it's good to be a man. Good. I'm not ashamed of being a man. I am not ashamed of my sex drive. Right? I have a thirst, but I also have a fountain. I married her. And she satisfies me. And I won't let the adulteress satisfy me. I'm not ashamed of these things. And this world tells you to be ashamed of it. But we don't listen to them. Masculinity isn't toxic. It's holy. It's part of God's design. We will not let these people shame us. Shame is good at the right time, okay? So if you step on a nail, you just go, ah, right? It hurts. Pain goes through your body, and the pain says, don't step on nails, okay? That's good pain. If you move your arm in such a way that it's normal and it hurts, that's bad pain. That's saying something is out of alignment, okay? If you feel ashamed for being effeminate or for being lazy 
or giving into fornication, that's good shame. If you feel ashamed for being a man, for wanting to work hard, for wanting to sweep your wife off the feet, throw her over your shoulder, slap her butt, and carry her into your bedroom, you feel ashamed for that? Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And so we have to be able to identify good guilt, good shame, bad shame, bad guilt. Don't be ashamed to be a man. Embrace embrace your sexuality as good. That's the first step of having a good sex life, is being okay with being a man, being happy about it, thanking God for it. When you look at the transgender culture, what you see is people that manhood was foreign to them, and they're ashamed of it. And it's a tragedy, right? But we have the seed of that in us when we're ashamed of our masculinity. So, number one, embrace your sex drive as a gift from God. Number two, cultivate a hatred for sex that deviates from God's design. So look at Proverbs 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water for your own well. Should your springs overflow into the street, streams of water in in the public square. Man, this is our whole culture. We live in a pornographic culture. You know, I, I live in a hipster area for the time. I'm trying to get out of it because it's the first place the riots will burn. But I'm trying. The women, when they go out to jog, I think they just like stand in front of a, a spray can, you know, and they spray their clothes on, right? I see it all. I can't help but see it. It's everywhere. And so I've made a covenant with my eyes, but I also have to drive, right? And there are joggers everywhere. I can't avoid it. You know, you see outlines of things you don't even want to see. It's like insane how wicked of an age we live in. This is Sodom. It is Sodom. Make no mistake. It is like intense. And so uh, you have to learn to say, I teach my, my sons that that woman, that woman wasn't properly disciplined by her father or, or, she, or she's given herself into her lust. Don't, you see a woman like that, son, don't marry her right? Teach them. And my, uh, my daughters, we teach them modesty, like the basic rule, right? Too tight, um, too little, too much. <laughs> That's like the rough way to explain modesty. But um, learn to hate anything that deviates. Uh, that's what you have to do right now, especially because you can only look away so much because of where we're at. And you type the wrong thing on the internet and you pop up on a porn site. Just the wrong thing. You know, just a little little error on the, on the keyboard, and there you're there. Now, the reason you got to hate it is that if you use a tool against design, we've all done this, right? Use the screwdriver to do something we shouldn't. You end up damaging the tool, and then the thing you're trying to fix too. So if you misuse your sex drive, it, you can damage, be damaged, messed up in a way that is hard to recover from, right? This is part, like why you see a lot of guys that have lived in long-term homosexual relationships, uh, their ability, I think some folks think when they're saved, all those problems go away. That's just not true. If you think that, you're really disconnected from even your own problems, probably. When you've uh, habitually uh, been involved in sin for a long time, there are uh, temporal consequences, even for the repentant. And it can be hard. So if you misuse your sex drive, you can really jack it up, man. And it can mess up everything. And part of our problem right now is that uh, kids are growing up without dads. More than half of the nation is coming from single-parent homes. The consequences of that are so far-reaching that I can't use hyperbole to describe it. It is catastrophic disaster right now. Absolutely. You want to talk about the apocalypse? Like That's the most apocalyptic thing happening right now is the breakdown, the total breakdown 
of the family. They turned the extended family, productive household, into a nuclear family where everyone did the work outside of it. They kept taking things from the household. Let's put the kids in daycare. Let's take the wife out. Let's take all these things. Let's take the ministry out into the household was nothing. And then they broke that down. And what the, I'll tell you what the next step is. The next step is to make you parental guardians of children. And then the children become wards of the state functionally. And they can take our kids because they're not fruitful. They're barren. Liberals don't have kids. You know, and uh, so that's this is where these things are happening. So you have to hate that all comes from fornication, right? If we're not hooking up with people we're not married to, uh, that's not going to be that problem. And so I want to talk to first about the main form of sexual morality that some of you engaged in here on bad Wi-Fi or this week. Um, I, I spent a lot of time counseling men. I've heard it all. I, I've heard crazy things. I've dealt with bestiality. I've dealt with homosexuality. I've dealt with transgenderism. But the thing that I know is common is, is masturbating to pornogra- porno- uh, pornographic images. Very, very common now. That's new. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, yes, lust is not new. High def pornography to your phone free of charge whenever you want it. That's new. Okay. The consequences, we don't, we, we don't even fully understand it. Yet, because when you uh, give yourself over pornography, it does two things to you. It warps and weakens your sexual drive. It warps it. And I, just for the sake of not getting Bible-thumping wingnut kicked off YouTube, I'll, I'll be careful here, but the, the way it's affecting people's sexual practices is really wicked. And they think things are normal that aren't normal, and that they're just acted out on uh, in pornography because it gets more clicks, right? If something's free, you're the product, right? That's how it works. And so th- what happens, it warps you too because the way your dopamine works. So when you, you get a thrill from something, after a while, you kind of uh, wear it out, and you have to do something that's even more thrilling. And that's how guys go from normal, normal pornography. I have to ask guys this. Like, what are we talking about here? I have to know what they're dealing with. I don't want to, but are, like, how, how deep down the rabbit hole have they, have they gone? Where are we at? Is this like just crazy multiple partners, gross stuff? Or is this relatively normal things? And what happens is it warps you. You, like, you, you go deeper and deeper into perversity, and it, it messes you up. Then it also weakens you. A lot of guys will complain like about not having their wife not having sex with them, but they're also looking at pornography. And uh, look, when you're thirsty, when you want sex, if you satisfy that through pornography, it weakens your sexual drive, and you're not going to put the work in to, to go after her, to get her into the bedroom. You're just not going to do it. And so it weakens your drive. You, you take all that and you throw it away on something that leads to nothing. It doesn't tighten you together. It doesn't lead to children. It doesn't become comfort. Because one of the biggest blessings of sex as you go through this life, right, is it, it comforts you. A friend, I, I don't know what it is with this conference, um, but a friend of mine on Friday, 42 years old, died suddenly. They think a blood clot got loose and got in his brain or lungs. He leaves behind a wife and nine or ten kids, right? 42, doctor, uh, great godly man or an elder. Um, so my, I, I hate being away from my wife and I call her up Saturday morning, like, I, I guess I'm not going to tell you. It, there's no easy way, so let me just tell you. 
right? I'm away. <laughs> All we want to do is get back to each other, hold each other right now, comfort each other. I mean, one of the blessings of sex, I can tell when guys aren't having sex and when women aren't in general. They're just like high strung, man. You're like, yeah, someone needs to get laid. Um, someone needs to relax. I mean, this is part of God's design to comfort one another. That's, it's not, and that's the other thing about uh, pornography is that everything, it, it becomes about it's like uh, folks that are gluttons that just shove food in their mouth, right? They stop enjoying the food. They don't savor it because they're glutton. They're just shoving it in. And the way it is with pornography is it destroys enjoying sex for what it is, for the, all the relational benefits, for all the things that God accomplishes through it. So uh, cultivate a hatred for pornography. Hate it. I hate it. I hate fornication. I am its enemy. I'm here to destroy it, right? Just cultivate a hatred. Third, kill your sexual past so you can enjoy your sexual presence. Present, excuse me. Uh, Proverbs 9.17, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So uh, I, um, I'm just in a weird time in my life where I'm speaking at secular men's events, uh, and as long as they let me say whatever I want, I come, and then I, I say whatever I want, you know. Um, and so far, it's been a really good experience. But I went to one event that used to attract lots of pickup artists. These are guys that learn how to, um, what, what women like, and they use that to get them in bed. And so this conference used to attract a lot of those guys. It's kind of pivoting in a different direction. But during one of the breaks, I was hanging out with a couple of these pickup artists and just talking to them. And I asked this guy, I got to ask you a question. When you have sex with all these women, he told me I had sex with a couple hundred women in the last four years. And I said, when you have sex with these women, can you be present? Or do you think about all the other women you've had sex with? Is, so like, are you even having sex with that woman? Or is it you're just kind of... You're just kind of going through it like a bio, like bio, biology removed from relation. And he stopped and thought about it really hard. He's a very thought, thoughtful man. And he's like, no, I, I don't think I am. And this is what happens is that uh, forbidden fruit is when like you have sex outside of marriage, there's the forbidden fruit principle. That's what he's talking about. Stolen water is sweet. Like, you know, the thrill of it heightens it. And so though he has, he's done, had all these trysts. But he carries them into all future relationships, so much so that if it, if it isn't as intense as one of those past ones, he has to mentally reenact it. To have, now, this happens with a lot of couples I've dealt with, right? So they, they are Christians, and then they fornicate one way or another, right? Maybe they don't actually have a coitus. They don't have actual sexual intercourse, but they do different things. And then they think, oh, okay, when I get to, uh, I get married, it's going to be even more intense. Actually, it robs you because the hidden forbidden fruit. So when you're having sex with your wife, which she's having with you, they have to mentally go into the past when you're fornicating, when you're sin, to create the arousal to enjoy sex. Fornication robs you guys. It robs you of your future. And so you've got to put it to death. You have to kill it. Now, God in his grace will sometimes let a fog descend upon that part of your memory, right? Praise the Lord for that. But let me just tell you, sin has temporal consequences that you can't escape always. 
because God loves you, okay? Because God loves people. He won't remove it. That's what the curse is, right? The curse is reminding us of that we're under judgment, so it will lead us to repentance. And so God, through temporal consequences, keeps us trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and looking forward to the resurrection and the restoration of all things. But the way you have to kill your sexual past is you embrace the goodness of your sexuality, you learn to hate things, and then you create awesome new experiences with your wife. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but I'll just say this real quick. I don't know where it fits, but um, when you think about sex, you got to think about sex like food. Like sometimes, you know, a hot dog will do. And other times, it's like a six-course meal. And when you're married, sometimes you just have a quickie and you move on with your day because that's what we can fit in because we have a thousand kids and a thousand, you know, responsibilities. And other times you can take your time, right? So when I say creating experiences, I don't mean that each time you're intimate with your wife that it's the, the, the peak experience, but it is good and it is holy and it's refreshing and you're, and you're ready to, to get at whatever it is, okay? That's what I mean. So you're pushing out that old past by creating things right now in the present. And recognizing that was evil. Um, so, okay, so then here's my fourth point that kind of breaks down. There's a few. Reject androgynous assumptions regarding sex drives, attraction, and arousal. So, um, I'm going to look at each of these. But this comes from men. Men and women aren't the same. I don't know if you figured this out. Okay, they're not the same. So, if you are cold, you say what? Will you turn... Uh, Will you turn the heat up? Will you get me a blanket? If your wife is cold and she wants it to be warmer or wants a blanket, she'll say, oh, brr, it sure is cold in here, right? <laughs> like, their speech is indirect, where male speech tends to be very direct, okay? We're different down to that. Uh, every single cell of a woman is feminine and every single cell of a man is masculine. It's, it's that deep down. People say, well, what's the differences be, besides the, the biology? Besides the biology, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, there are other differences because I think we're ontologically female and male. I think, um, in other words, our essence is even masculine and, uh, it, like, according to our sex. Um, but here's one, one place I'll take you to. First off, so God created man in his own image. So in the image of God, he created him, so the, the race. And then male and female, he created them is in two varieties. They're binary, binary sexuality. So that's huge. There's no like spectrum or anything. Uh, then you go to something like 1 Peter 3, 7, 8. Uh, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, how is a woman weaker? There's lots of debates on this, but I'll give you one way, is that there's physical differences and her weakness actually can be a blessing. Uh, so it's, uh, I, uh, I don't like to drink wine from uh, a coffee mug. I drink it from a wine goblet. But uh, I can't put a goblet at the bottom of my car. You know, right now you have like a coffee mug that's just like bouncing all around. Um, they have different purposes. So that goblet will break at the bottom of my car, but the coffee mug won't. And so even a woman's weakness has to do with her design. And so she's to be behind the line homeward oriented, where we're outward oriented. So we go out, we conquer, we push back the thorns and thistles, 
and we create a space for her to be in. That's what's going on in the Proverbs 31 woman. That, that man, he was diligent and hardworking. He gave her all these resources for her to be that productive. Um, so we're different. And a woman, is they, they actually have softer skin. You know that? They feel like, why oh, are your skin so soft? Because it's softer than us, right? It rips easier. We're meant to, uh, to be engaging with the physical world in a way that women aren't. Women are more, we are oriented towards things, which makes sense. If you think about Adam's made from the dirt, brought to the garden to work the dirt. Eve is made from the man, brought to the man to help the man, right? So she's more relationally oriented, people oriented. Women are more, they develop linguistically quicker than men do. If you have boys and girls, you know that. Like your girl is like two years old and she's like, you know, hello, father. You know, she's just like full sentences. And my other kid's like, oh, uh, choo-choo train, go boom. (laughs) You know, like, "Ah, you're a man, my son. Uh, You're one of us. You'll catch up. Don't worry. You know, um, we we, we develop very slow. You remember, like, when you're at the middle school dance, the girl's like hearing, (laughs) like dancing like this, they're so tall. But um, what we're very different. We're wired differently. And one of the biggest ways uh, is our hormones are significantly different. So men become women are. So we have to create rites of passages. But for a woman, she has one built into her, which is she starts to ovulate and then menstruate. And then she can actually have children. That's built into her. It used to happen around 13, 14, but we messed up our food supply, and now it's moving younger and younger, probably because of the hormones that we're pumping into our food. It's very weird what's going on right now. But um, that, that's built into a woman, and a woman can get really far in life just by being pretty, right? Um, she can be dumb, but if she's pretty, she can get pretty far in life because of the nature of masculine attention and attraction has to do with, you know, curves. As guys, like, there's a handsomeness that will carry you, but you have to be productive. You have to get things done. And that's why you look at these rites of passage where a guy like, has to go out and, like, kill a wolf or something, right? Bring it back to the tribe, where it's head, you know? We have to show our value. We have to demonstrate we're capable because we're called to work the ground, to be productive, to be leaders, to engage a wild world, and to subdue it for the glory of God. So women, though, hormonally, they have a cycle they go through. And this is the first thing I want you to understand with a woman's sex drive. It is not like yours at all. It, it exists on a cycle. It, it revs up right before she ovulates, and there's a lot of testosterone, and that's when she's most ready to go. And then when, it, uh, when she, if she doesn't get pregnant and she starts to menstruate, it revs down. So revving up, she's looking for that sort of aggressive male stuff. And when it revs down, uh, then uh, she's like uh, basically a, a sort of downness or depression falls. It's almost like her body failed to do what it wanted to, wanted to accomplish, Right. And so sometimes you feel like you're married to two women. Hormonally, you are. You really are. And you have to learn that. You have to understand that that you have to be a wise leader that can fit yourself to the situation, to the point of the cycle you're in. And this this plays out big time with women. We don't have menopause. 
Guys in their 60s and 70s can still have kids. Now, their testosterone drops after 40. It starts to go down, but it goes down at a much slower level. What happens with women at menopause is huge. So their life is really built around their ability to bear children, and the horm- their hormonal reality is cyclical. With us, it's consistent. We can have sex like that almost any time. Women don't, your wife does not understand you at all. She doesn't know. At the height of her arousal, she's about one-tenth of what you are most of the time, hormonally speaking. She doesn't get it. So it's almost like not understanding, um, what is this? Uh, I had this in my notes somewhere. Well, it's like someone doesn't understand how uh, someone could always be hungry, right? They just don't, like, if you're, uh, what was that swimmer that got in trouble for smoking pot? I can't think of his name. Yeah, Phelps is, like, eating these incredible amounts of carbs, right? Calories. It's like, in, I don't know, it's almost like 10,000 because he's, he's burning so much. And for us, like, we couldn't eat, no matter, even at this time, we've ate a lot of carbs and a lot of food. We can't even get close to him. We, how does that guy do that? Like, that, she doesn't get your need. And if you don't tell her, she'll never understand it. You have to walk her through it. They're just, they're just very different. So one thing you have to understand is that the male sex drive is intense, consistent, and almost always active. The female sex drive is moderate, cyclical, and often latent. Uh, so it's the male libido is super intense. And uh, guys think about sex uh, almost every day, several times, where women will not think about it for weeks when we look at the research that's been done on it. And they can go without sex for a long, long time and it totally not do anything to them. Uh, but it does affect them eventually, but not in the same way it affects guys. And so now when I say women have moderate, I don't mean it's absent. They're erotic. They have sexual desires. Um, but again, it's this cyclical. So their libido is tied to their menstrual cycle. And her sexual desire increases as she approaches ovulation, decreases post-ovulation. Uh, her attraction to particular physical and behavioral characteristics change. They actually look for stronger chins revving up and then softer features down. <laughs> it's just absolutely wild. Do you know baby girls, they'll track with faces and baby boys will track with movement. <laughs> it's like, I mean, from day one, man, it's crazy. Like God's design is, is just amazing. Um, so put it simply, men are always in the mood. Women really aren't. They're really not. Um, and you have to understand your wife. You have to live with her understanding why she's hormonally different. Now, let's talk about attraction. Um, we treat, and I said androgynous. Androgyny is where you treat sexuality, you blur them together, or treat them as they're interchangeable. And a lot of guys like talk to a woman like she's a man or expect a woman to talk to you like she's a man. You're androgynous. Stop it, right? Learn to speak woman. Learn to interpret it. Get good at it, right? When she says, oh, it's cold in here, you say, let me get a blanket. You know, like learn, guys, okay? Uh, but so don't, ha- don't look at her sex drive the way you look at hers or your own. It's different. Also, an attraction is really different. And this is women are like been totally lied to about this. Men don't care about your degrees, like they don't care. Like the vast majority couldn't care less about your PhD. And the fact that you make a quarter million dollars a year is kind of a turnoff. You're like, this seems like this is going to be a high maintenance chick. I don't 
know if I want to get involved with her, right? Because there's nothing particularly feminine about it. She may be super competent, and that is impressive, right? It does take a lot of discipline to get a PhD. It takes a lot of discipline to rise to that level at a corporation and make that sort of money, but it's not particularly feminine. And what drives attraction and arousal is sexual polarity, the opposites, the tension of it. It's something foreign, something that you want. And uh, so men, what we want is curves, responsiveness, and pleasantness. We like breasts. I should be able to say that. That's what that proverb just said. And it's not like in some coded way, like, hey, you like her breasts? Let them always satisfy you. That's good advice. That's good counsel. I'll give that to you. I like that counsel. That's my uh, life verse, right? Um, you want, where's that in the promised Bible? But this is good, good advice. But we also like these uh, hips. Now, here's the crazy thing. Those are all fertility markers, right? Breasts. And the hips, when a woman is ovulating, she sways more. She actually sways her hips more, you know? This is like when effeminate men, they sway their hips. It's like, you know, really repulsive because it's a feminine attribute. But a woman sways the way she communicates that she's wanting to have a, a baby, wanting to get pregnant. She doesn't even understand it's a hormonal reality. So this is interesting. The things that we find attractive about a woman is the things that make image bearers, that fill the world with more of God with more of his image. Now, um, we like responsiveness. Right? We like a girl that follows our leadership, that's respectful. And if you want to know if a girl likes you, she laughs at your stupid jokes. That's her way of telling you that, right? She's being responsive. We like pleasantness, like a woman that brings calm and peace into our world. And that's kind of it. And that's why like, some guy will marry some beautiful uh, barista, right? Uh, he may be like a high-performing guy, but she's beautiful, and he's like, I'll marry that, right? Women don't get that. And uh, what women think is uh, they, men, what they desire is what men desire, but it's not. It's the opposite. And here's, the, here's a crazy thing. If you want to understand what attracts women, you just need to, if you want to become more attractive to women, just take all the advice of women's magazines on what they tell women to be. Okay? I am not joking. So here's what women are attracted to. They're attracted to strong, independent, and driven men. That's exactly what they want. Um, women find masculine men attractive. They want a guy strong. One of the biggest things that determines whether a woman will date you and marry you is your height. It's crazy. It's across all cultures. Women want to date a guy or marry a guy that's taller than them. Now, short guys don't like to lose heart, okay? Um, some of you have done fine. But what it is, is uh, height like demonstrates strength. Uh, she wants, they're attracted to someone that's physically fit and comparatively taller. They want to know that he can protect their family, right? It communicates that to them at a deep level. They want a strong man, right? Is if, you're, uh, if your marriage bed's cold, it could be because, you know, you're not strong. You're not in good shape. You're not very sexy. You're not very attractive. And, uh, is, and so part of like becoming more attractive to your wife is simply drop some pounds. You know, don't be a slave to your belly. Up your, up your, uh, you know, your output, you know. Just, there's all sorts of different ways to do it. I mean, you can cut your carbs. You can, you can do five by five strong lifts, which is a real easy way. I don't know. There's a bunch of different ways. I don't want to get locked down in the means, but actually get in better shape. It feels good too. I love, it feels good to be strong 
and to be able to do things? Don't you want to be able to like run with your kids late into life and wrestle with them and, and teach your grand, you know, grandson a lesson or two, right? Get in good shape. So they want a, a strong man, and then they want an independent man. Now, what I mean by that is that he can get things done. He doesn't depend on her. And I got to tell you, the way that guys lean on their wife in a sort of pathetic, weak way undermines the strength of their marriage. Stop complaining to your wife and be very careful how you confess your weakness to her. That's what we're for. Okay? This is the brotherhood of men. We actually get it. She doesn't understand you. She doesn't. She is going to think that you're just being weak and she's going to secretly despise you. On It's just natural. Whereas a guy will say, you're being a sissy if you are, or if we understand, like, I've been there, man, whatever. She'll comfort you, but what you're, what you're showing her is that you're leaning on her. And let me give you an analogy. The best way to think about this is that think of God as the sun, you as the earth, and she as the moon. And you want to have the greater gravitas, the greater gravitational pull. How did I get my wife to follow me? I'm ahead of her. I have more gravitas. I work harder. I push, push, push. I mean, it's hard. She pushes me. She's a very competent woman. I'm very thankful for her. But when you are leaning on her in that way, it does diminish your gravitas. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, man. I, I, I get sick of having to nuance everything to death, okay? There are, the, the more you build that relationship, the more you can have those sort of conversations and not undermine your leadership in the relationship. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you're, when you're being really weak, uh, do what we did down by the fire. Find some guys that you can talk to that actually understand. Don't, don't use your wife for that. She's weak. You're strong. You're the pillar. She leans on you. And so strength isn't just a matter of your ability. I always tell people, be able to kill someone with your bare hands. That should be your goal. I mean that. They break into your house. I'm not a pacifist. They come after my family. I'm going to defend them, right? Be able to kill somebody with your hands. Now, a gun might be good right now, too. Um, (laughs) But I'm telling you, you know, the 21-foot rule, all that. So, But it's not just that. It's, It's attitude. Don't complain to your wife, you big baby. Okay, complain to me, and if it's real, I'll say, that's rough, let's pray. And if you're being a baby, I'll say, dude, get over yourself. You got this, yeah? But you have to do both, because I do think men don't have, like, enough encouragement. I know a lot of you feel beat down. And so sometimes, like, but a woman doesn't know how to moderate that like men do. Like, I've become convinced that, like, this is my wife hates when I tell this story. I'm going to tell it anyway on camera. Um, but so with the first one, first kid we had, we did a uh, um, water birth. So I'm in the, tube, with the tub with her and the kid comes out of her and you're like, oh, this is so terrible. Right. And uh, actually, I got a better story. I'll tell you. And then I'll come back to this. We went to Bradley classes and Bradley classes where they teach the father to be involved in the birth. And she wanted us, the instructor wanted us to watch this video where these Amazonian women have babies. Right? So it's like we're in this basement. There's like four couples. One guy just got back from Afghanistan. You know, they're all, they run, you know, they run the whole gambit. It's all of us having our first kids. And uh, so uh, these like Amazonian women are like having babies standing up and like pulling the baby out. And you're like, and all of us guys are like, you know, like, like, is this sin? Is this wrong? Like, what are we doing here? And so she turns it off. And then 
So he says, what do you guys think? And every, all the guys are like, we've sunk down into our chairs, like, ah, why, why did I come here? You know, thinking that sort of stuff. And the guy from Afghanistan, he speaks up. He says, when I was over in Afghanistan, I uh, saw a mortar round. He uh, hit my buddy, and he blew up and turned into a mist of, of just blood, and I saw his eyeball in it. And in that, that video we just watched, is still the worst thing I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> and so for each kid, I'm in the tub. Then I'm by the tub. Then I'm on the couch. Then I'm in the other room drinking wine, eating cheese, watching Futurama. Hey, call me when you need me, okay? Like further and further. Like, I don't know. This whole thing seems like there's a reason it's midwives. Like this is the domain of the sisterhood. I don't want to watch that come out of you, okay? I know it's my kid. I love him. I'll help if you want me to do that. But if, if I don't have to be there... Like, if you take care of that bloody stuff, I'll take care of war. I'll tell you what, you have the baby. I'll go fight some Philistines. Sounds way better to me, you know. And we're just really, really different in these sorts of things. And, but what a woman wants to do is feel safe in a man that she can count on, a man with gravitas. Get gravitas. Get strength. Become a grave man, a serious man. A serious man can laugh. He can laugh at himself, but he gets things done. Get it done. Stop it. Stop saying you're going to fix that knob. Fix the knob, man. Just get it done. I, I, I'm going to give you a trick to keeping your word. Make less promises. Keep more. <laughs> just, I'll, I'll do that, sweetie, and then you don't do it. And you undermine her trust in you. She needs an independent man that she can depend on. It's crazy. She has sex with you, and then she blows up, and she's super vulnerable, and she has to trust you with everything. Think of that. Could you give yourself to another man, to another person for nine months? It's not in us, because we're, we're male. We're different. But she has to do that. She needs to know you can get it done, that you can provide. None of this, like, we're poor for Jesus stuff unless you really are. Get it done. So we, men, uh, women hate guys that just have sex with them and then leave them. Guys hate women that have sex with them to take their resources. But the reason gold diggers is a phenomena is because women know that they have to depend on a man to provide for them. And so in the same way that a woman gives her sex up to you, her body makes her vulnerable, the way a guy gives up his resources to you makes him feel vulnerable, Right? And that's why we hate what we see happen in divorce where guys lose so much to some woman who maybe committed adultery on them. So, independent, a driven man, a man with confidence. Women are attracted to a confident, assertive man. They want someone that commands their respect and respect of others. They're looking for a competent leader. This is like command presence. You know, you ever been around a guy and you're like, are you a cop? And he's a cop, right? You feel it. You know, the way he walks up to the, like, he is in control of the room. It's called command presence. You got to develop that in your home, that sort of confidence. Women actually like men with swagger. I call it joyful swagger is what Christians have, right? I'm confident because I am approved in Jesus Christ in the sight of my father. Like, you don't like me. We can talk about it, but at the end of the day, I'm saved, right? I'm his. I have an inheritance in him. I'm happy. You can't steal this from me. Can't take my joy. You can't take my swagger. Can't take my confidence, because I know God's working through me, right? He loves to take the foolish things of the world and, and make the wise uh, look even more foolish. That's just his nature. 
I always tell people that God's a comedian. I'm one of his jokes. You know, this is how the Lord does things. It's amazing that we get to participate in this. But women want that sort of confidence. And it's very important that you, you build that. And that's, again, that comes back to embracing your masculinity as good. This is what I think people don't understand about the jerk phenomenon. Why do women like jerks and not nice guys? Because nice guys aren't masculine. You're gross. You're gross. You're weak and you're agreeable. You want to like, you want to have some fun with your wife? I'm going to give you a tip, okay? This is a day, I'm playing with fire, but you know, we're this deep in. Let's go. Um, so, being taking the opposite position of her in a fun way, I guarantee, will turn her on a little bit or make her laugh. So, for example, if a, if a woman tells you, uh, oh, I just love cats. You say, you love cats? Cats are terrible. They, like, they take your soul when you sleep. Did you know that? Dogs are way better. And so there's like a playfulness. You take the opposite. And she'll, what are you talking about? And then it'll generate this conversation. Because what happens is women are looking for a man that's independent of them, that will lead. And agreeableness makes you more and more alike. So androgyny kills attraction and arousal. We are having less sex than ever before right now. It's called the sex recession. And what's going on is as a woman becomes more like a man, you're like, you know, that's a lot of alcohol. As a uh, man becomes more like a woman, she's feeling the same way. It turns it down because God made us male and female, binary, polars, right, or poles. And so when you take the opposite view, it actually is something like, and this is what jerks do naturally. They just don't care. They're just going to do their own thing. And that appears to a woman to be an independent man. But you might just be a jerk, but it's way, it does more for her than a guy that's a nice guy. Nice means to be agreeable, to just always agree. And so they're looking for a guy with confidence, with drive, on mission. Why? Because God took Adam, he put him in the garden to work it, and then he brought the woman to help him. She's looking for someone that has a world bigger than hers. She's looking for a guy with a motorcycle that's going somewhere so she can get on the back and go with them. Part of the problem in your home is you have no mission, you have no drive, you have no ambition. Because people have told you ambition's bad. It is if you're like Cain, disobeying God, building up a city just for yourself. It is if you're like Babel, building a tower to make a name great for you. But if you're like Abraham, submitted to the Father, the Father will make your name great in the world because your name magnifies his name. I promise you, your ambition is too small. How far can we go? How hard can I run? Can I fill the minute with 60 seconds of race? It's not for salvation. It's for glory. It's for his honor. Because he, we feel his pleasure, right? You know that story probably. So she's looking for that. Now, a woman's arousal is latent versus a man's being active. And you probably uh, know some of this already, <clears throat> but men are like active volcanoes. <laughs> you know, it's like bubbling up. Like, you ready to go? And you're like, yes, ma'am. All right? You just jump to it. Uh, it doesn't take much to get us to erupt. Female arousal is much more laden, where mere audiovisual stimulation is enough to get a guy going. Women require more mental stimulation. Both imagination and anticipation play a large part in turning them on. Right? It's their mind. you got to get them going. It's very sensual in the sense that it's uh, color, smells, whatever. 
And, uh, and that's why, like, how many of you guys read romantic novels? Well, no one puts their hands up. How many of you guys bought a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey? None of you guys probably did. I hope not. Not. We can have some council time afterwards. Nonetheless, um, 55 million women bought that. 55 million. I already like 55 million women and 5 million gay guys or something like that. You know, <laughs> that's like the reality of it. But it's because imagination, right? Like I always tell women that romance novels is porn for women. You can't, can't read that. But you have to learn to get your wife's mind going, okay? I flirt with my wife all the time, constantly. True story. Um, I used to work for the vice president of Sally Mae. And his name was Alex. And he was the first name in my cell phone back in the day. And uh, for some reason, there was a bug in my old uh, Motorola. And he was getting all my texts that I sent to my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and so the guys were like, so I hear you really like Alex. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I didn't know. His whole, he was on vacation for two weeks getting all the texts from my wife. So then I like, created a new entry, AAAA. <laughs> so, I like you, Alex. Not that much. Flirt with your wife, right? Grab her butt, slap her butt. Like you have to earn some of this. If you if your marriage is damaged, um, you got to change. You got to like these things come in stages, okay? But you flirt with her. If your house is a wreck, um, she can't relax. So you've got to build a safe domain that's under control. That's a big part of it. She'll be anxious and she can't she can't uh, get turned on because she can't turn off, right? Um, most women, again, honestly have no idea how constant a man's sex drive is. Even after being told, they have a lot of trouble believing and internalizing it. Um, I'll tell you, one of the easiest ways to have more sex is ask for it. Right? Nice guys think, okay, if I do a good job, she'll just have, she'll read my mind. So these are called covert contracts. Okay, I did the dishes, I watched the kids, I did all this good stuff, now she'll have sex with me. When did she make that deal? <laughs> right? When did that exchange contract happen? How unfair of you. Okay? But you say, I'll tell my wife, hey, it's, it's been stressful. I've got a bunch of events and things I've got to do. We need to, you know, uh, keep, turn up the intimacy if we need to. Like, let's watch less TV this week and just, you know, we're tired. We're always going hard at it. But uh, just asking for it because they don't understand. A lot of times that's enough. And you can't. You, again, you have to build that intimacy. You know, sometimes the sex isn't what you imagine it should be, partially because you've been going to pornography, but also it takes time to build that, and things, again, are cyclical. So one, one of the, a couple, like, practical things, real quick, because I've gone long, I think. But uh, number one is uh, fall in love with being a man, with what God made you. Become strong physically, mentally. Uh, become independent. So stop complaining to your wife. Complain to your friends. Don't, stop whining to her. Uh, don't like lessen the weakness in in the, your verbal communication with her. She'll think she'll appreciate it whether she understands it. Now you can't keep that in though. You do have to rely on the brotherhood. So if you don't know a lot of these guys, let's exchange some numbers this weekend, okay? Um, and then nextly, start exercising dominion over your home. So the easiest way to do this is. Uh, if you don't have a good budget, work out a budget and then tell your wife like, hey, I've worked out a budget. Here's some goals. Can we talk about this? Here's some things I'd like to get your feedback on or work out a homeschool curriculum or work out something like create a fenced in thing and give her space to work in. But start actually 
exercising leadership. It's very important that you exercise leadership not as Barney Fife. Okay, so Barney Fife, like he's always pointing to the badge. Right? You've got to respect me. Look, i got a badge. Look, I, I, don't, I don't need a badge. I have some of my friends, they like to wear clerical collars, whatever. And they say, well, let's people know that you're a minister. And I'm like, I don't need it, right? I don't need it. They'll figure it out. Trust me. I know they will. If, but if you need it and you think it's useful, whatever. It's like Jay Vernon McGee used to say about women in makeup, right? If the bar needs a paint and paint it, right? If you need it, you need it, right? But, um, but don't, I don't have to tell my wife to submit like the earth doesn't have to tell the moon to submit. I'm not against you saying that. You could say that. Like, it's okay. I don't know how effective it's going to be. Um, what I think you start doing is developing that gravitas by taking an initiative and in, in leadership. If your home's a wreck, if your finances are a wreck, if your health's a wreck, take action. On your, on your physical fitness, the one thing I would tell you is don't tell her you're getting into shape because you already have and you did it. Not this time. This time, you tell your friend or you make the plan and you do it. And so what I did when I started running, I just started running. And if it rained, I ran. If it snowed, I ran. If it was miserable, I ran. If I hurt my leg, I hobbled. Did the whole thing, right? So um, I did it, and then you know what happened was crazy, is that I lost, I have a lot, I have a ways to go, but I lost a bunch of weight and started getting in shape. And then my wife was like, yeah, I want to get in shape too. And she's always, she's very petite, but um, we've had a lot of kids, and so she picks up baby weight. So she started running with me. I didn't have to ask her. I didn't say, hey, you know, you'd be sexier if you lost 10 pounds. I didn't have to say that. You know, um, she followed my lead. So what I'm telling you is find something. Start small. Not everything at once. But exercise leadership in your home. Okay, takeaways. Here's the big final takeaways. Flee sexual perversion. Don't be weak. Don't be weak. Don't let that adulteress get you. Right? You're not going to get me. It's like when those people, those chicks friend you on Facebook or on Twitter. You get those weird, like, you know, it's like some dude in Nigeria with some picture or some Asian chick. You're like, not today, Satan. Delete it, right? You have to have that attitude. You have to, you have to say, no, you know what? Instead of looking at porn to take care of my stress, I'm just going to take, this is why I always tell people, a lot of guys have to, I have a whole podcast on how to break your porn addiction that I can share with you afterwards. But one thing is just to, to tire the body out. Because you look at porn, because you want dopamine, because you're stressed out, I guarantee that's what's driving it. So if you go out and run, or you go out and lift, or you go out and walk and get it out of your house, your body releases stress. You are a body-spirit composite. You are not just the spirit. We're not Gnostics. This is part of you, man. And you get that stress in there. So flee sexual Perversion. You just can't flee. You must pursue. Pursue and aim and exercise your sex drive according to wisdom and knowledge you want more. Well, let this motivate you to take action, man. Be productive. Sex is a gift. Some of you have very damaged marriages and very damaged sexual appetites. We can correct some of this. But our mind has always to be centered, and I think this is what what Austin was trying to anchor us on, on glory, on, on Lord, on God, right? That's the race at running. He's at the end of it. And so this is some of the ways you can start building a godly sex life, okay? So let's pray. 